Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right. It is really good to be back. Uh, I, Graham uh, McCaig and I, we're in Mexico and uh, had a fantastic time this past week ministering to about 50 uh, pastors and leaders in a uh, church planting mission school in a border town in Mexico. And uh, it was hot. Man, it was hot. Uh, and so I'm really glad to be back in, in a climate where I can breathe. <laughs> Seriously, it was it was 100 degrees every day, and it, the lows got down to 78 at night, and the humidity was really thick, and so, <clears throat> but uh, it's good to be back, uh, and good to be with you, and I'm really glad to be continuing the series on relationships, getting past playing pretend, and unlike uh, many series on relationships, we're not talking about specific relationships, like marriage relationships or dating relationships. We're actually talking about issues that affect all relationships. And so we looked at um, a number of different things like communication and sexuality last week. Jimmy shared on uh, getting past uh, pretense and going deeper in relationships. And we're going to continue on that. And uh, the verse that we're basing this series on is from John 13, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus commands us to love one another as he loved us. And uh, how he loved us was pretty radical, wasn't it? He loved us to the degree where he gave his life for us. In fact, Jesus demonstrated that the love that he loved uh, was uh, loving others more than himself. And so he went above and beyond the command of the Old Testament in loving others, loving your neighbor as yourself, to loving others more than yourself by dying on the cross as the example. And so we are to demonstrate the same type of love for one another. And John sums this up in a letter later in his life to a church where he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, and the word so is, is not an emphatic, like, wow, God loved us so much, but in this way. If God loved us in this way, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so in the same way that Christ demonstrated love uh, by dying to himself, we are called to love others. Every relationship, therefore, should be based on Christ-like love. But how do you do that? How do you actually love in that way? How do you love one another? How do you love your neighbors in a way that Christ demonstrated? How do we love one another? You know, there's levels here. One another is the people that you know, the people in your same church, the people in your family. And then the neighbors, the people that are nearby. I live in Portage, and there's this, this uh, it took me a little while to figure it out when we move, but there's this, there's this sign language in, in Portage 
Uh -huh. And so when you, when you pull out of your driveway, your neighbor, if they're outside, they'll go like this. And, and you'll go like this, back. And that's about it. <laughs> and you think, well, that's, hi, how you doing? But no, no, it's like, stay in your own yard. <laughs> yeah, you stay in yours, too. <laughs> Keep your distance. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> Isn't it the truth? <laughs> so it's... It's like it's really hard to get past that barrier, and I've gotten to know a, a few of the neighbors uh, over the years, and uh, and it's, it, uh, sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's actually harder. Uh, and then we're to love our enemies that way. Wow, that's another people that we don't like or that don't like us. How do we love them? How do we treat them? <clears throat> few of us will ever be in the position where we have the opportunity to die for someone. How about an amen for that? Uh, aren't you glad? Okay, but. I would say on a regular basis, you have the opportunity to die to yourself on behalf of someone else. And so that's how you apply Christ-like love, dying to yourself for the benefit of others. Um, Jesus said that loving in that way actually defines what it means to be a Christian. It's not just believing a set of rules. It's about treating people in a certain way. And that's what it means to be a disciple <clears throat> and jesus said based on our ability to love one another in a christ-like way was how the world would know that we're his disciples so world evangelism evangelism reaching the law saving people from hell is based on us getting this down and so this is a really important thing that we need to do <clears throat> and learn how to do but how will it work if we don't know how to actually do it in practical ways? So that's what this uh, series is about. And today I'm going to be talking about money. Aren't you happy? <laughs> and how money affects relationship. And I'm going, to ba I'm going to launch off from this scripture, not normally a passage used when talking about money, but it, it, it's a very interesting glimpse into how money affects relationships. Six days before Passover, celebration began. So this was at the end of Jesus' life, <clears throat> just a few days before the biggest holiday in the Jewish culture, Passover. But also, that's when Jesus was arrested and tried, beaten, and uh, wrongfully convicted, and then crucified, where he died on the cross for our sins. But he, it, that hadn't ha happened yet. This was right before that. Jesus arrived in Bethany. Bethany was a suburb of Jerusalem. And so literally it's right in the shadow of, the, of the, one of the largest cities in the world at that time. And, the, and all the people from all over uh, the region and, and really most of the settled world would come. All Jews were required to come to uh, Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Passover. And the reason it was in Bethany was probably because there were no more rooms in Jerusalem, but, and he also had a place to stay. He was actually staying at the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. How'd you like to have a dinner party with a guy who'd been dead for four days? What would you ask him? What was it like? I don't know, I was dead. <laughs> I don't know. What'd you see? You know, oh man, wouldn't you like to have a conversation with him? Come on. Uh, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, Martha served, good old Martha, she's serving, <laughs> and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, whatever that is, I have no idea, 
and she anointed Jesus's feet with it, wiping it with her hair. And the whole house, wow, was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and given to the poor. Let's stop for a minute. How many of you have a bottle of perfume, a 12-ounce jar of anything worth a year's wage? Average year's wage in Kalamazoo County is about $40,000. Can you imagine if your wife came home <laughs> and she'd bought a pair? Hey, honey, I got some nice perfume. What do you think? Huh, that smells really nice. Wow. How much does it cost? $40,000. <laughs> I think there would be a discussion. <laughs> I could have had a boat. <laughs> Let's just let that sink in for a while. But then she breaks the bottle and pours it on his feet. Wow. Yeah. And Judas was upset. Not that he cared for the poor. This is in scripture. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. He knew what was going to happen. They didn't. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So what does this story reveal about Jesus' view of money? You can always get more. Someone raise their hand. We'll have to give you time to think. So what does this tell you about money? Jesus, how Jesus viewed a year's wages. It's a tool to be used. What was that? Doesn't have the value that we put on it. People are more important. Yeah, what does this reveal about uh, Judas' view of money? What's that? Judas likes the money. <laughs> Judas was greedy. He thought more of the money, boom, than he did of Jesus. What relationships were affected by money in this story and in what way? We have a bunch of people in the room. Is this thing worth forty, fifty thousand dollars Boom. So when when Jesus stood up for her and said, Leave her alone. Wow. That just, Jesus said Mary's action is more valuable than a year's wages. Probably made Judas so mad that what did he do a few days later? 
for 30 coins. Yeah. Anything else? Any other relationships in the room there? To, to Mary, there wasn't a question. She would willingly do that. She didn't hesitate. Yeah. Yeah, it's an act of love and a lesson for us. What do you think Lazarus was thinking? He was right there in the room. This all happened. You know, I never thought that because when he was in the tomb, it said, don't open the tomb, he stank, he'll stink. Yeah. <laughs> There's a sermon there. <laughs> <laughs> and now the house smells like expensive perfume. Uh, I, you know what? I, I bet I was like, Judas, what are you doing? I was dead for four days. I'm alive. Who cares about $40,000, man? You don't have the right perspective in mind, you know? Judas, you need to spend some time in a grave. <laughs> Get your priorities right. <clears throat> Add money. Yeah, he did. Add money to any relationship, and it changes, doesn't it? It really does. Money, not the lack of it, but differences concerning finances is one of the top causes of divorce. Uh, money and infidelity or sexuality, problems in the area of sexuality are the two main reasons people... Uh, a scribe is leading to divorce. In fact, there's a quote from <coughs> someone uh, who uh, it was in the context of discussing relationship, but this person is actually works for a bank. It says, money makes people funny. Or so the saying goes, and it's true. Everything from a different spending habits and financial goals to one spouse making considerably more than money than the other causes power struggles that constrain a marriage to the breaking point. Money really touches everything. It impacts people's lives. And that's absolutely true. And we need to acknowledge that. So how can we live and how can we love Christ-like with our money? And at the end of this message, I hope you leave with uh, maybe more questions than answers. So I want you to be thinking about the relationship you have with money and how that relationship affects your relationship with others. Uh, and that's what this whole uh, sermon's about. We're going to look at three passages that talk about money and speak to this issue. The first one is from Psalm 62.10. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. It's a great passage to memorize. You know why? Because it's short. <laughs> <laughs> If riches increase, do not set your heart on it. New Living Translations, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. All right, so talk about money and the value system. The whole world system is built to make money and gather possessions uh, the center of our lives. Right, what's the common saying? He who dies with the most stuff, ah! Still dies. He who dies with the most stuff loses the most because he can't take any of it with him. All right? So, but the, the world says he who dies with the most stuff wins. Wow, what a complete misunderstanding of life and stuff and the purpose of life. And it's interesting, this is actually kind of baffles me, that the more prosperous a society is, 
the more of a problem this becomes. You'd think that if we lived in a prosperous society, people wouldn't care so much about stuff because we have so much stuff. But we actually care more about stuff, and our emotional well-being is actually uh, reliant more on the stuff we have or the stuff we don't have than uh, societies where they have nothing. Remember when I took Emily, my daughter, <clears throat> at the time, she was, what, 11? To northern Africa in Morocco. And uh, part of the trip, we went up into the mountains. And we spent three days with this, in this village of the Berbers, which are the indigenous uh, North Africans. And they, they, they actually look and live uh, very like, North, uh, like the Native Americans. Uh, their cooking methods, their everything. It's just like, wow, this is just like being out west with an Indian tribe. But uh, I was like, Emily, how can we describe this to people at home? And she was like, I have no idea. Because we would go into their house and there was nothing. There was not a single piece of furniture. Nothing. Okay? <laughs> have a seat, you know? And they'd pull out some rugs. So you wouldn't have to set on, they did have, a, it was cement floor, it wasn't dirt floor. Other huts, we were in the nicest place in town, all right? <clears throat> and uh, they, the people who lived there actually moved to other places to host us. And everyone was happy. In fact, they were so happy that we were there and they were celebrating. Uh, after dinner, they all gathered together and they started singing this song. They had no instruments. They were making noises. I don't know how they were doing it. Um, it was amazing. And they had absolutely nothing. But we uh, then uh, experienced such emotional turmoil in, in our country, and we have so much. You know, we complain that we have to walk so far in Myers to get a gallon of milk, and we have to pick. Which gallon of milk do we want? Because there's 14 or 25 different varieties. <laughs> That's why I go to a smaller store. <laughs> a poor person can be as greedy as a wealthy one. The amount of money doesn't make one greedy, but what place it has in our lives. All right? Uh, and that's really important. It doesn't matter how much you have. It's, it's a relationship. What relationship do you have with money? And how does that relationship uh, affect or lack of uh, money or possessions affect other relationships in your life? That's what we're asking. Second verse is, <clears throat> the first verse is don't set your heart on them. Don't, set your, uh, don't make it the center of your life. Second verse is from a letter Paul wrote to Timothy, the pastor of a church, in Ephesus, he said, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, it's very important. This is one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible. Usually, it's uh, money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. Money's good. All right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say poverty is a blessing. Lots of places in the Bible, it says poverty is a curse. Either the result of wrong, poor decisions or most often the result of injustice in society. People not treating other people well leads to poverty. Okay, And riches are always seen as a blessing. Abraham was one of the richest men on earth. And he's the father of all believers. You know, The faith comes through him. And 
David was rich, and Solomon was really stinking rich. And so there's nothing bad about money, but there's something bad about loving money. Because loving money causes all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, money and possessions have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so Paul had seen this. People, because of desire for possessions, wealth, better, bigger car, better car, bigger house, better job, better status, they actually stopped following Jesus and started chasing after money. Kind of like Judas, eh? <clears throat> and can you imagine Judas did that? Wow. Uh, it says, uh, wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many degrees, but flee from these things, you man of God. Rather, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Those are the things that make a life rich and not necessarily money. Um, <clears throat> Judas allowed his love for money to come between his love for Jesus. Huh. Judas was there when Jesus healed blind eyes. Judas was there when he walked up to the kid that had died and it was a funeral procession and Jesus touched him and he popped up out of the uh, thing. Judas was there when Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Judas heard Jesus speaking truth that changed lives and it's changing lives today. Judas had a relationship with Jesus. But Judas let money get in between that relationship. And boy, if it could happen to someone that actually lived with Jesus and saw all those things, it can happen to you and I. And it doesn't matter how much money we have or don't have. It came between his love for, for poor people because he was using the excuse of raising money for poor people to fill his pocket and his relationship with Mary. And his relationship with the other disciples. Wow. So to live Christ-like, we need to learn how to love people and use money and not the other way around. Love people, use money. Don't love money and use people. Love people, use money. Scripture number three. <clears throat> 1 Timothy, a little bit further down in the letter. Chapter six. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. And not the trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Man, don't you wish rich people could learn that? Don't you wish the rich people in the world would turn their attention from filling their own bank accounts to helping poor people in this world? Come on! Have you seen some of the houses that rich people live in? I drive by some of the houses and I go, how many people could possibly live there? <laughs> it's like a hotel. And I never see anybody in the yard. You know why? Because there's a mom and dad, and they're both at work all the time. And maybe they got a couple of kids. It's, it's amazing, you know? 
Well, how about these guys who have billions of, uh, Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest man on the planet now, I think. I saw something that he makes like $600 million an hour or something like that. <laughs> like, wow. So who's this talking about? Who is teach those who are rich? Okay, does this mean, I can't say Steve Jobs anymore because he's dead. Uh -huh. Michael, uh, Michael Gates. Who's Michael Gates? <laughs> Warren Buffett. <coughs> He's a pretty rich guy. Uh, yeah, that's who it's talking about. Hey, let's just take this. Average household income in Kalamazoo is somewhere around forty dollars to $45,000. So if you make $40,000 a year, that puts you in the top 0.57% of the human uh, race. race of people alive today. You make... You are not in the 1%, but in the top half of percent. That means there's only uh, a little less than 34 million people that have more money than you. And about 7 billion people, billion, that have less money than you. I've never met anybody that's making $40,000 that thinks they're rich. But compared to everybody on the planet, you are rich. And I understand there's a difference in the cost of living and the states is higher. But listen, <laughs> I just came from Mexico, okay? You can't drink the water. If you live there, you can't drink the water. They have to have special filters. All right? Even the people that live there don't drink the water that comes out of the tap without filtering it. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> it's shocking. Actually, I wrote this sermon weeks ago, and I didn't put it together that I would be coming back from Mexico and then teaching this. And the shock of, we actually fly into McAllen, Texas, which is a very affluent, small city. And, you know, it's just like anywhere in America with palm trees, uh, cars and nice, everything's in order, and you can get anything you want for next to nothing and eat anywhere. And... <laughs> And then to get into Mexico, it's the craziest thing if you ever do this. Uh, it's the easiest border, border crossing. They don't even stop to ask you who you are. Because if you're coming from America, you probably got money and they want you to come in. <laughs> Seriously, there's nobody there. Uh, they take a picture, and if for some reason you're, they, they, they do run a, I don't know, apparently they pull some people off to the side and ask them questions. But every time I've crossed it, it's just, you just drive right through and uh, you're good. And uh, just going over that river, you go from incredible prosperity to incredible poverty. And you see it instantly. Within a few hundred feet, the roads are horrible. The people, you can just tell they're, they're poor. The buildings are in decay. And it's not that they don't work hard. They work hard. Because you have to work hard to get water. Okay let alone food, and it's absolute destitution. <clears throat> Literal people begging on the street because there's nothing else that they can do. Uh, and the shock of that, and just a couple of, two, two little stories on this, is uh, the worst poverty I saw while I was down there <clears throat> was they took me to a brothel. Um, and I've actually been to a brothel before, but I've never been in a brothel. 
because when I was in uh, Thailand, we did some ministry in the red light district. A brothel is a house of prostitution. <clears throat> but this wasn't a house. This was a neighborhood. There was at least four and I think more, maybe six blocks. And it was walled. And to get in, there was a guard. And he wasn't a policeman. He was part of the gangs. And he was like, who are you? We're pastors. We're here to minister. weird we pull in and there's bars and restaurants a strip club a laundromat a beauty salon in the brothel i'm like this is the brothel wow uh and we did some worship and they, they the reason they took me there is because it was during the day uh, they wanted to show me a building that was vacant that the owner has given them permission to, to come to and to use as a place of ministry. And so they go to the brothel several nights a week and minister uh, to anyone who's willing to receive ministry. But now they're actually going to have a building uh, and that they'll, they're allowed to fix up and keep their stuff there, which is pretty amazing. <clears throat> but uh, when we were looking at that building, I walked out behind the building and there was this courtyard and it probably used to be like, I don't know what it was, but there were just little rooms, and there weren't doors, there were just doorways, and most of the doorways had like a blanket or a rag covering them, uh, and each one was small, tiny, and that was, that was some, that's where the prostitutes lived when they weren't out working in the strip club, and it was unbelievable. There was a power line on the ground. I said, hey, guys, watch out. There's a power line there. I said, it might be live. And Josh laughed. He says, oh, it's live. That's how they get power. They hijack the power lines. And it just runs on the ground. So some kid, and there are kids. Okay, this, pro this particular area, I said, what, are there kids here? And they said, well, if the prostitutes have children, they live outside the gate and they just come in here. The ones that live in here are, are usually uh, don't have kids. I'm like, wow. And so the absolute abject poverty. But the second thing that really impacted me <coughs> was as we were driving, Olivia, Josh's wife, who heads up the red light ministry and goes in there a lot and takes other women. At night, the guys don't go in there. It's just women ministering to the prostitutes. Um, she said, you know, some of them are addicted to drugs, but most of them aren't. Uh, and he said, she said, the saddest thing is that many of the women that end up in there come up to work in the factories that line the border. And she said, most of those factories are American-owned factories. And they come from the villages because they, they, they hear about these factory jobs and they think that they can make enough money to support their families back home. But when they get here, the factories don't pay them enough to even live on, let alone send money back. And the one factory we did drive by was Kohler. The most expensive faucets you can buy they aren't willing to pay enough money to keep the women that work in there out of prostitution. So the women actually have to go into prostitution so they can send money back to their parents and their family. But the family doesn't know what they're really doing because that would bring shame. And often they do it long, just long enough to get enough money to get back out. <clears throat> and she said, those are the ones we can really help. How does that make you feel as an American? Proud to be American. 
How does it make you feel that we're one of the, you're one of the richest people in the world? Now, riches aren't bad, but it's how we relate to them. And that scripture says, let's not be proud or trust in money, but in God. And to use our money, so when that verse is speaking to the rich people, it's not speaking to the, uh, uh, you know, the Bezos. Yeah, they're super rich, the Warren Buffetts. It's speaking to you and me because we're rich. No way around it. Uh, that we need to be, use money to do good, that we should rich in good works, generous. Use money to love people. <clears throat> but when we allow our trust to move from God to money, we're essentially making money an idol. And that's really bad. Money is coming between us and God in the same way it did for Judas. So this affects every other relationship. Uh, money, not people, become the priority. People are valued based on how much money, uh, are, how they affect your wealth. Is this going to cost me something? Or am I going to get something out of it? And you invest in people that you get something out of. And you avoid people that cost you. Rather than their position in Christ, I'm willing to sell off to help this person. That's why I go to Mexico. You know, I'm telling you, poor people are hungry for truth. It's, they're so hungry, it's just amazing. Uh, I love ministering down there because they, they're hungry, not just physically hungry, but they're spiritually hungry because they're, they need, they, they're looking for something because they don't have money to trust in and, they need to, and they're so open here about God because they need someone to trust in. But when we put our trust in money, when we become proud of uh, 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 our, our, our financial status, or especially when we change how we value others based on how they affect our prosperity, our wealth, or comfort, it erodes trust, it destroys love, and it objectifies everyone. It treats people like objects to be used, and that's not healthy. So all three passages had the same theme. The first one was don't set your heart on riches or make them the center of your life. The second one was don't love money. <clears throat> and the third one is don't trust in money. And the way I like to say it is the theme is don't have an emotional attachment with money. All right? Now I'm not saying if someone comes up and hands you $10,000 that you can't be happy. Yay! You know? But don't, be, don't allow it to control your emotions. There's a big difference. All right? If you get a raise, rejoice. God's blessed you. You can do more. You can do more good for our people. But boy, don't, don't make your emotions dependent on whether or not you have that new toy or you, or you get more money than the person living next to you or your siblings. All right? Uh, don't have an emotional... Now, this is some ways that you can see if you have an emotional attachment to money. All right? I don't know how many times I've been with people <laughs> or seen people get upset over a mistake and their bill. They go out to eat. And, and like, they, you get double charged for the nachos. Hey, we didn't bite you. It was money. What? You know, it's one thing to point out. Like, I'm okay with someone looking through the receipt. And go, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, I think there's a mistake here. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't actually order that. Oh, I'll fix that for you. That's okay. What's going on here? I see it all the time, all right? If you come out to me, eat with me, you'll notice. I don't even look at the bill. I'm like, just 
pay for it. You know, if it comes back as four hundred dollars, I'll look at the bill. <laughs> but if you get angry when there's a, uh, uh, you know, someone gives you the wrong shit, if there's an emotional reaction to that, I want to check your heart. If you're constantly afraid of being taken advantage of, you know, or being robbed, gotta lock everything down. You know, it's like paranoid. I know a few people that are paranoid. I mean, it's just like they're so afraid of somebody stealing something that they can't even enjoy anything they have. You know? I'm like, well, geez, what, what's good is having it if you never even take it out of your lockbox, you know? <laughs> um, or if you feel jealous when someone has something more than you. There's always going to be somebody that has something more. I have a, a friend who's a He's probably a multimillionaire by now, and he's, well, he's got to be, because he's got two multi-million dollar houses in Hawaii. <clears throat> and I love you, brother. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, he, he's, I love talking to him because he's like, he hangs around with some really rich people. And he says, you know what? They just, you know, they're not any different than anybody else. They just make bigger mistakes, because they can make a $100 million mistake where most people can only make a $100 mistake. <laughs> and he's seen it. Uh, and if you have emotional triggers when it comes to money or spending, you know, maybe there's something in the Holy Spirit that, maybe there's something the Holy Spirit needs to heal in your heart about your relationship with money. Uh, and uh, it doesn't mean you're not careful with money. I think you should be really careful about spending but careless about giving. Careful about how you manage your money, but careless when it comes to generosity. And we'll end with this verse in 2 Corinthians where it teaches that. It says, since you excel, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, actually writing to them about taking an offering, collecting money for poor people uh, in Jerusalem because there was a financial crisis, a drought, I believe. It says, so, you so he's writing this church in Corinth, since you excel in so many ways, I mean, you, church in Corinth, you're doing great. You got great faith, incredible anointed preachers, uh, and you just have a level of knowledge. And man, you're enthusiastic, and your and your love for us is is fantastic. You excel in all those things. I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. So he compares it to faith and knowledge and passion and, and, and all these amazing things. Actually, giving is just, just so much of an act of worship. I am, command, I, says, I am not commanding you to do this. He's not telling you what to do, but I am testing how genuine your love is. <gasps> how you use your money and how generous you are, according to the Bible, here is a test of how, how genuine your love is. How you use your money how generous you are is a test of the genuineness of your love. Wow. He says by comparing it to the eagerness of other churches. We need to outgive one another. You know, outlove one another. He says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he came from heaven, he had everything. For your sakes he became poor, he gave up everything, everything, including his own life on the cross when he died in payment for your sin so that by his poverty he could make you rich 
Christ's example is to use His riches to enrich others, and that's the way we should be concerning money and possessions, that we uh, use our money, use our possessions to demonstrate love for others. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you. (sighs) Lord, we thank you that somehow we were born or we uh, made it here to the United States and we live in this nation and and we are so grateful. I'm so grateful that we live in this country and and we have such amazing prosperity. Father, we're thankful that we have jobs and we have uh, ability to live and uh, and Lord, we are just gracious. And I just pray that each person here would learn how to relate to money in a way that actually demonstrates love for you and love for others over love for money. And that we would not be controlled by money, but we'd use money to bless others. God, give the, if there's any way that there's this dynamic working in our hearts, reveal it and then reveal the way out, the way to wholesomeness and health. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.